it is to be here today, to be able to just pause and be part of this Resurrection Sunday service. And it's, it's such a delight. And the magnitude of it is something that never fails to just grip my heart. We want to read today from Matthew 28. So if you could take up your Bible. Yesterday, or oh, sorry, Friday, we read from Matthew 27, which was the story of the, the crucifixion and the death and the burial and all that went with that. But Matthew chapter 28 is about the resurrection. It's about something completely different. It's about the finalization of this wonderful story, the coming to fulfillment of God, what God had spoken. It's Matthew 28, and we're going to read the whole chapter, only 20 verses. And it says in verse 1, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And then we see a bunch of events happening. It reminds us a little bit about what happened on Good Friday. By the way, how many of you were in the Good Friday service? Oh, great. And there were all these miraculous things that took place. And, and here we see a little bit more. In verse 2, it says, There was a violent earthquake. You'll remember at the time when Jesus died, there was also the earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Very definitive. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. On the way to church this morning, I was discussing this with my daughter and saying, he, the Bible says his clothes were like lightning. Can you imagine what he must have looked like? Dressed in lightning. I think any young lady here would like to be dressed in lightning for her wedding or for some special event. But he was dressed in lightning. It was, it was just, his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook. They were incredibly fearful and became like dead men. What's it, be, what's it like to be like a dead man? You can't move. And the angel said to the woman, I mean, verse 5, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. And then in the NIV, these words that the angel says, now I have told you. It's almost like he was on royal commission. He'd been sent to relay a very specific message. And here he says, now I have told you. In other words, I've done what I was meant to do. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly... Jesus met them. He just appeared. It's just this one of these suddenlies. Greetings, he said. They came to him and they clasped his feet and they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. 
Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. In verse 11, the, the story takes a, a whole different turn. And while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. And when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money. It's like the original corruption here. <laughs> Telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were sleeping. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and we will keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. You know, the, the, just to pause here for a moment, it, it always intrigues me that there's always money to fund the lie. It intrigues me, even in the church. And when it comes to the good things we want to do, there seems to be a shortage of money. When it comes to all the good things we'd like to see happen in the country, there's a shortage of money. When it comes to corruption, there seems to be an abundance of money. And there's always money to fund the lie. And we see it playing out here. But it goes on in verse 16, and it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. It's important you go where Jesus tells you to go. If you want to, if you want to encounter him, go where he tells you to go. Don't go where you want to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now I want to tell you, what I've discovered is that there's always somebody who's going to doubt. I'm telling you, if Jesus was to walk right into this room now, in all his glory, some would go, mm-hmm. <laughs> some would. Because there's always the doubters. But don't you be one. Maybe over this weekend, you've, as you've thought of the whole story, of the death and the resurrection, maybe there's been one or two little doubts. Uh -uh, no doubts. And then Jesus speaks. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Those words at the end are just so remarkable. And surely, I love that word surely. It's an old fashioned word, but it's like a guarantee. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. And I think the disciples thought the end of the age was maybe two weeks later. But here we sit, we're much nearer to the end of the age than the disciples were. And here we sit today, and that same guarantee that he is with us to the end is yours and mine. I wanted to speak on the fact that he is risen. He has risen today and we have so much to rejoice about. The angel came 
And the angel says to the woman, he says, do not be afraid. So in verse 5 and 6, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And the resurrection is really the foundation of the Christian faith. It changed the whole world and it altered history. It's the bottom line of our Christian faith. It's been disputed and it's been debated, but it's never been proved untrue. And after he rose, there were many miraculous signs confirming this. And Jesus appears again and again after his resurrection. And he appears to different people in different settings. And it's over a period of 40 days that he is moving around and interacting with people. He met with individuals and small groups and larger groups. The largest one is estimated around 500. He would even eat with people. He would let people touch him. And so he did all of this to remove all the doubt. And this is what he did. And he, he, he was on the earth in this manner for 40 days. That was then when the ascension took place. And for those of you who would like to know, ascension takes place on the 25th of May this year. That's 40 days after today. And then Pentecost was 10 days later, and that'll be on the 4th of June. So you see this progression that was taking place. And the issue was that even after Jesus had ascended, there were many people who had seen him, who kept on testifying. So it wasn't a matter of when he ascended, then it just, the story went away. No, no, no. These people had seen him. There were living people who had seen him and had seen the resurrection and had seen, or shall I say, seen what happened over the, the Passover period and who even seen the, the ascension. And so they would testify and they would tell people and confirm what had happened. And the fact is that you and I still remember today. We still celebrate his resurrection today. We still go around like those who bore testimony to the fact that Christ had risen. And every Sunday should be a reminder to us of the risen Christ. Every Sunday. Not just Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday. But I noticed firstly just the miracle of the resurrection. It was such a miracle. There was this miracle that took place and then there were all the little miracles that took, a pla took place at the same time. And you can go and read it in verse 2 and 3. There was a violent earthquake... The angel appeared. I mean, that must have been spectacular. The stone, which had been sealed by the government of the day, was rolled away. The angel appeared like lightning. And, I mean, that was enough to drive fear into the bravest of gods. In fact, the Bible says they fell like dead men. They were like paralyzed with fear. I don't know. Have any of you ever experienced being paralyzed by fear. I have. When I was a little boy, I don't know why, but I battled with nightmares. And I would get these bad nightmares. And in the nightmares, I would be paralyzed with fear. I couldn't even lift my hand, and I couldn't even get a, a sound out of my mouth from the nightmares. And I would lie there, it was... It was 
it, I hated it. It was terrible. I don't know why it happened. I don't know if it's part of growing up. I don't know, but I just remember this being paralyzed by fear. And eventually, somehow, I would get some squeak out and, and my mother would hear or my father would hear and they would, they would come in and peace would be restored. And I, I, I'm so aware of that. And I'm, I'm imagining that, that, that that's what the guards must have felt like. They must have been just stuck to the floor. Couldn't lift a finger. Couldn't do anything. They were incapacitated. But the friends of Jesus, they seemed to be able to handle it. The two Marys. Maybe they were ladies. Maybe the ladies can just handle it better. I don't know. <laughs> but the two Marys, they seemed to be able to handle it. But you know, maybe they'd, they'd lived with the supernatural. They had, they'd begun to expect the supernatural. So when it happened, it didn't paralyze them with fear. They were fearful. But perhaps they were more excited. Because this greatest miracle of all was the resurrection. The greatest miracle is that Jesus rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, the resurrection of Jesus authenticates everything that he said and everything that he did. And you might say to me, but what about other religions and other philosophies? My question to you is, do they have a risen savior? I mean, if you're going down a road and you come to a T-junction and you've got to go left or right, and there's a dead man or a living man, to tell you which way to go, which way are you going to choose? Are you confused? Don't be confused. He's alive. The other thing I found interesting is that Jesus' death happened over many hours. It was a protracted thing. Some of it was in the blaze of daylight, some of it was in darkness, but it was a protracted thing, but the resurrection was instantaneous. It was just, it was this instantaneous thing. It happened suddenly. It's almost as if God was in a hurry. He didn't even wait for the third day to pass. It says, at dawn on the third day. I mean, it's like God was in a hurry to show us this miracle. He was ready for it. At dawn, at the very first opportunity, he arose. It's one of those suddenlies of God. And all of a sudden, it was over. Purposes of God had prevailed. The plans of God had come to fulfillment. He arose and he lives forevermore. The second thing I see, first one was the miracle of the resurrection. The second thing is this emphasis on not fearing. And maybe it's just because somehow innately we tend towards fear. I don't know. But it's one of the overriding messages of this text, that we should not fear. So many awesome things were taking place and powerful things were taking place that I believe it could have led to fear even in a believer's heart. And we live in a time when we look at the world and we wonder what on earth's going on. And there can be a place where we can you know, maybe even feel fearful, fearful in our own hearts. But listen what the angel had to say to them. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid. That was the first message. Do not be afraid. And this aspect of not fearing is an overriding aspect in the Bible. And the Bible encourages us in many places not to fear. And God wants to constantly reassure us 
that we do not need to fear. Somebody sent me a, a, something where they say there's 365 promises or words in the Bible where we're told do not fear. I thought that was, that was great. But I went and researched it, and when I researched it, some of the commentators say, no, there's no such a thing. So just be careful what you send around, eh, because you, you don't always know. But there are many. In fact, they say in all their varieties, probably around 314. Because God doesn't want us to fear. He doesn't want us to fear. In Matthew 28 and verse 9, it says, So the woman hurried away, afraid, yet filled with joy. Have any of you ever been afraid, yet filled with joy? I have. I can remember when my firstborn daughter, my first daughter was born. And about two weeks before she was born, the doctor informed us that it would be a cesarean. And I had been to the classes to learn how to breathe. <laughs> I knew how to calm down and how to breathe. I knew all the instructions I had to give my wife. I knew. And the doctor said, it's got to be a cesarean, and it came as a shock. It came as a shock. And I had to wear a little green outfit. You know those that don't close at the back? <laughs> That's scary. We had to go into this theater and and then the child was born. And the doctor took it to the one side and checked and said, your child is perfect. And I was fearful, but I was so full of joy. They took the child down to the nursery and I stuck my hands into the incubator and I put my hands on her. I was fearful, but I was full of joy. You can be fearful and full of joy. That's what these ladies were going through. And so yeah, they go along and suddenly Jesus appears to them. It says suddenly Jesus met them in verse 9 and 10. And they came and grabbed his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said, do not be afraid. Here it is again. Do not be afraid. It's one of those suddenlies of God. And I want to tell you, you do not need to fear the miraculous. You do not need to fear the future. You do not need to fear death. And you do not need to fear the fiery darts of the enemy. Because thirdly, he is not here. He has risen. And I, I want him to arise in your own hearts to be a living reality. The angel said he is not here. He is risen. Now remember, this is an angel who's dressed in lightning. And how kind is God? The angel then says to Mary and the other Mary, Come and look where he lay. In other words, let me deal with your doubt. Come. Look here. People still go to Israel today to go to the garden tomb. To go and see that empty tomb. And it's just a beautiful picture of how God is constantly wanting to reassure us. Reassure us. Reassure us. And then, as the, angels, the angel says, then go quickly and tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. 
Now I want to tell you something. He has risen from the dead, and he has gone before you to glory, and there you will see him. Now I have told you. And if you are a born-again child of God, you will see him. There will always be doubt, but don't be one of them. A little earlier, I read the scripture from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. If you'd like to, you're welcome to turn there. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. This is the actual scripture that really captured my heart over this weekend. It's a, it's a remarkable scripture because it gives us such clarity. It tells us what we have to do and, and how we have to live. Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on things on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And this scripture tells us to do two things. Seek those things which are above. And then it says, set your mind on things which are above and not on the earth. And the first thing I wanted to ask you is, where is Jesus right now? The Bible says that he is seated at the right hand of God. You only sit when the job is done. He's seated at the right hand of God. And our focus should no longer be on the empty tomb. Our focus should be on the risen Lord seated in heaven with the Father. And the, the resurrection happened quickly. Jesus left the tomb quickly. And you and I must not be tomb dwellers. But we must be those who've had a glimpse of another reality. We need to seek those things that are above and set our minds on things that are above. But it's difficult to understand that sometimes. How do we do that? And I thought of a, a story from our own personal history that I wanted to share with you, and it's not in any way in arrogance. It's just, just a story. But I believe it can help you understand this. Years ago, my grandfather was born into abject poverty. He was born into a family of intergenerational alcoholics. This is my dad's father. Intergenerational alcoholics. Alcohol had destroyed and robbed the family. My grandfather's father and grandfather were alcoholics. And I just want to pause there for a moment and I just want to say say something to you, and I just want to say that alcohol is not your friend. Listen to me very carefully. Alcohol is not your friend. Don't dabble with it. My grandfather had to break with that. It cost him a lot because at 11 years of age, he was forced to leave home because his father wanted him to leave school to go and get a job to earn more money to buy more alcohol. And he, he, he let, ran away from home or left home or whatever it was. 
built a mud hut on the banks of a river on, in the Eastern Cape, planted carnations, made a living, and honored God in every way he knew how. As a little boy, young man, he would walk miles to church because it was such a priority to put God first. And years later, I'm talking now, 30 years later, after 30 years of very hard work, lots of risk-taking, lots of, uh, um, what word shall I use, initiative, and continuous honoring of God, God honored them. And I want to tell you, if you will honor God, you will find that he will take you from the guttermost and bring you to the uppermost or the uttermost. And they ended up having a beautiful home in the city of East London. It was a home that was owned by a man with the surname Wilson, who was the co-owner of the the business Wilson Round Trees. Anybody ever heard of that? You probably eat the chocolates from that company every day or every now and again. They were the original Wilson Toffees. And I thought I'd bring some here today, but I didn't want to have to pay for all the bills for all the uh, <laughs> crowns that would come out. And they made, it was a highly successful company and my grandparents were able to buy this house from Mr. Wilson and it was a beautiful home. It had bay windows and stained glass. It had marble columns and teak wooden floors and beautiful hard wooden wood paneling and mirrors. It was a magnificent home. And they loved living there. It was a beautiful home and they used to in the back of the house, the house was so big that my grandmother used to take in boarders and many of those men who boarded there ended up in the ministry. It's a strange thing. But my grandfather was a bit of a wanderer and um, he used to drive, he loved driving those big old cars. You know those big old cars? Those ones you drove in the 40s. <laughs> oh, nobody knows about them. No, they were big cars. And his one was called an Oldsmobile. And it was a big car and he would go driving out into the countryside. He loved visiting auctions and going to different things. And, 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 and one day he was driving out of town and he was driving on a gravel road and he saw a, tr a track. It was an old ox wagon track where ox wagons and oxen had pulled these wagons along. And you know, he thought to himself, this Oldsmobile can go down that road. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was a go-anywhere type of man. There was no mountain high enough. And so he went down this little road, this ox wagon track, and he's driving down in his Oldsmobile, and he came to the edge of a hill, and as he looked over, he saw the most beautiful farm he had ever seen in his life, hidden. And he was amazed. Absolutely amazed. It had a river and a lagoon and descending mountains and the ocean and the forests. And he stood there and he was absolutely intrigued. And he thought, I've got to get this. I've got to find out. I've got to buy this. It's beautiful. So he went home 
and he picked up my grandmother. Now, my grandmother was a very smart lady, and even at the age of 65, when she went to be with the Lord, she was still a very smart lady. She wore heels and pencil skirts and gloves. You know, that's why I always look so, you know. <laughs> I put the jacket on for today, man. <laughs> and she went along, and she wasn't impressed. The road was bad. The incline was such that she instructed my grandfather to stop, and she walked in those heels. And then, eventually, they saw. And they saw something, they caught a glimpse of a future life that would look very different. A future life in a little bit of paradise. A future life that would not be like what they were used to. It was gonna be, a, wasn't, gonna, it wasn't gonna be easy, but it was gonna be, it could be remarkable. And through a series of miracles, they were able to buy that. And suddenly, this house in town had to be sold, and they couldn't wait to get rid of it. This house they'd loved, they'd loved it. They'd loved all these beautiful things. My grandmother loved beautiful things, and now she has this beautiful house. Now she must sell it and buy this rural agricultural land where there's no running water, there's no electricity, there are no roads, there's no house. But they'd seen, they'd caught a glimpse of something. Perhaps, perhaps we could live here. Perhaps our children would, would enjoy this. And they'd caught a glimpse and you see, sometimes you and I, we need to catch a glimpse of another reality. We live in this world and we're so attached to the marble and to the BMW and to the, the, the BMW and to the, and to the Alpha. And I know, I know lots of you. We're so attached to ons klokke and ons paintings and you know, we, we, it's ons goed man. It's, uh, but we've got to get a glimpse of another world. There's another world. We've got to see over the hill. We've got to see over the horizon. A life. A different life. It reminds me of the one thief that was next to Jesus. He said to Jesus, Jesus, will you remember me today? And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. There's another time. There's a paradise. <coughs> Don't get too attached. Don't get too attached. I think when we catch a glimpse of that reality, materialism, <laughs> sin, all the world can offer us, means nothing. Perhaps the, the things of the world still have a huge sway on you. I know some people in this church who cannot walk past a motor car sales room. They just cannot. It's like it, they walk, but they, they just can't help themselves. The things of the world have got such a hold. And it's nice having nice things, and it's wonderful to be blessed by God to have those. And I don't deny it at all, but there's another reality. 
And I want to give you in these closing moments a glimpse over the horizon. I want to give you a glimpse over the hill into that other reality. Are you ready? You might need to use a little bit of your own imagination. But Jesus said in John 14, verse 2, he said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. Can you see a little bit? Stretch your neck. Can you see the mansion? In Revelation 21 and verse 4, it says, He will wipe away every tear from your eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the older order of things has passed away. Can you see into that dimension? No more tears. No more sickness. No more pain. Look. In Revelation 22 and verse 5, it says, and there will be no more night. They will not need the, the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord will give them light. Can you see it? Can you see the different light? Have you ever woken up and looked out your window and thought, the light looks different today? Look out, the light's different. And it says, and they will reign forever and ever. That's you and I. There's some reigning to be done. There's some things to be done. There's something to do. It's, it's, it's going to be wonderful. And lastly, in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1, it says that there is a great cloud of witnesses. Do you know who the cloud of witnesses is? It's those who have gone on before. Can you see? What have you got in store for me? Auntie Lucy, Uncle Kevin, Uncle Vic, Auntie Rona. Can you imagine? Just on the other side of the veil. Vilma, your ma, Nedda. Can you imagine? How wonderful. No wonder the great hymn writer said when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we will sing and dance in victory. I want to give you a glimpse. Don't live so bound here. Let these things go. There's another dimension. It reminds me of an old song. I don't like the song, but I love the words. <laughs> this the words are beautiful. It says, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. And that's how we should live. Put aside your fear. Get rid of the unbelief. You've been raised with Christ. A great and a glorious future lies ahead for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can 
look over and have a wonderful expectation of what lies ahead. Of an eternity that lies ahead. Let me remind you, you are an eternal spiritual being having a temporary earthly experience. Don't lose perspective. And let me close with the last words of Jesus as he was about to ascend. Then Jesus came and said, it's in Matthew 28, right at the end, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you until the end of the age. Father, we thank you for a little glimpse beyond the veil. A little glimpse into your very presence. I think of that old song that says, turn your eyes on you, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Lord, I ask today that those things would grow strangely dim, that our priorities would change, and that we would realize that we have been raised with you, and our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And that one day, when you, our life, is revealed, then we will also be revealed with him in glory. What a great prospect. Now I pray your blessing on your people. I pray, Lord, that you will bless and keep and provide. I pray for your protection over the people of God. I, pr I pray that you would protect their health their finances. I pray that you would protect the things that you have given them, that they would know that every good and perfect gift comes from above and that we can be so thankful to you. I pray that we will seek relationship and fellowship with you, that we will seek every good and perfect gift that you give, that we will start to look like someone who belongs in another dimension and that we will do everything we do in a way that brings honor and glory to you and we ask it in Jesus precious name amen amen we